You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. I about sang my voice out just then, Hunter. So, uh, great worship. Um, Luke chapter 15, we're actually going to read the entire chapter today. It's such a glorious chapter. I've actually preached on it a year ago, but in a different way with a different emphasis. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you about George D. Robinson, who in his 2011 book entitled, What Will a Man Give in Exchange for His Soul? He tells of a Massachusetts-born man who you may know, uh, D.L. Moody. He was born in 1837. Moody was... I think four years old when his father died. His uh, he was the seventh. He uh, Moody was the seventh of nine kids, I believe. I think his mother was pregnant with twins when his mother died. Uh, when his father died, and uh, so he was the seventh of nine of those kids. And uh, he had to. I think his mother had to let him work for food and shelter back then, just because she was so poor. Of course, those of you that know about Moody know that he went on to be a great evangelist. He started what is now known as Moody Church, uh, and he started Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. But he was world-renowned for his evangelistic efforts reaching the lost, and so much so Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, had him come and fill his pulpit for him. And Moody was uh, a great man of God, but he didn't start out that way. Right. And uh, the first uh, and Johnson in his book, What Will a Man Give in Exchange for His Soul, uh, has this quote I want to give to you. Uh, first, uh, the first meeting I ever saw him at was in a little old shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Mr. Moody had got the place to hold the meetings at night. I went there a little late and the first thing I saw was a man standing up with a few candles around him holding a, uh, a boy and trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son. And he got a lot of the words wrong. He couldn't even read them out. He had to skip over them. And I thought, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will astonish me. Of course, as a result of his tireless labor, they say that within a year, the average attendance of that school jumped to 650. They had 60 different volunteers from various churches that would come to teach the Bible there. And it became so well known that the just elected president, Abraham Lincoln, uh, visited and spoke at the Sunday school meeting on November 25th, 1860. And uh, the only reason I'm giving you all these details, a little background about him, is because I want you to understand the magnitude of his own words, D.L. Moody's own words of his own conversion. All right? Listen to this. When I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop uh, I was at work in. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul until that day. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here's a man who never saw me until lately and he's weeping over my sins and I never shed a tear for him. (laughs) But I understand it now. And I know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and to weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. So the concerns and the tears of a godly Sunday school teacher resulted in the conversion of a man who probably saw close to a million souls won in his ministry. And of course his college and things still live on. 
his, his ministries around the world. Luke 15 is an incredible chapter, more famous than D.L. Moody himself. And I have no idea how I'm going to do it justice in the short time I have today because we have Lord's Supper today as well. And, but I, I do want us to look at the, the highlights of this, all right? Luke 15 has probably given more people hope, more hope to mankind than, than we'll ever comprehend this side of heaven. But I want us to read it. And you can stay seated because this is a long chapter, all right? Just try to concentrate on this. The stories, these, this, these truths, true events told by Jesus are, are more important than anything I'm going to say today. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on its shoulders and rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse eight, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does it light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he told a third story. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, hey, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son, the brother, was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what, what's, what these things meant. And he said to him, well, your brother has come, your, your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, which is probably a lie. You, you, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother 
was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Renee Daniel to come and ask God's blessings on the message today. Lord, we want to thank you for each and every one of your blessings that you bestow upon us each and every day. We ask that you would be with those of us who are still feeling lost and need to be found, Lord. Grant us forgiveness, grant us guidance guidance and wisdom to find you again if we are walking lost. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bestow blessings upon all of our ministries and our church family. Continue to support us and be with us as we look to you in everything that we do. We ask that you would be with Went and speak through him and give us the guidance and wisdom that we need. Lord, we ask for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this, this particular parable is really like uh, three parables rolled into one, and each parable is, is, is like its own exclamation point. Uh, so it's like Jesus putting three exclamation points. You know how you write a text and you put all those exclamation points at the end. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. It's emphatic and it's significant. And our time here doesn't afford an in-depth look at 32 verses uh, of the biblical details, but my desire is to hit those exclamation points today. And the first one is that it's natural for extreme sinners to draw near to Jesus. That is natural. That's what Jesus is saying. This isn't, this isn't abnormal, these rejoicings that's going on. It's not abnormal in this text that people draw near to him. Luke 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. However he was speaking, however he was loving others, it was inviting to them. There will always be barriers to loving lost people, but Jesus overcame those barriers. Matter of fact, why would the text even say tax collectors and sinners? Why wouldn't it just say sinners? All sinners of all types. Well, because tax collectors were like the most hated, sinful outcasts of their society. Remember, they were assisting the Romans in their conquering of their own land. <laughs> you know, the, they had the Hellenization of the Jews, which was a process of kind of brainwashing uh, into the language and culture of the Jewish people by the Romans. And they, they weren't just helping them, these Jews were helping themselves with the authority afforded them by those hated Romans. They would, they would uh, you know, they would exact tax from other people, but they would add to that tax on and above and maybe even double it and just gouge the people. And they had the authority of the Roman soldiers behind them. One commentary uh, cited an old rule that said one must not associate with an ungodly man and pointed out that this was a rabbi rule, that this was taken so seriously that rabbis wouldn't associate with such a person even to teach them the law. Of course, y'all know Acts 20 verse 28 proves that's wrong. That's sin. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. But there are certain sinners in our society today that are among those most hated, right? I mean, hopefully as Christians, we hate all sin, but there are some, some sins we almost don't want those people to repent. 
know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Jonah felt that way about the Ninevites, right? God called him to go take the gospel to the Ninevites, and he turns the other direction because he knew. And it shows up in the text there, right? He knew as soon as they heard the gospel, they were going to repent and believe, and he didn't want them to, right? Now, I'll just tell you, I don't find rapists and pedophiles and murderers and those people that are on their phones at the red light when the light turns green and they're still texting and there's pause and you're in the back of the line and you miss the red. I don't like those people. They are not easy people for me to love, all right? And uh, so the worst of the lost people. But let me tell you something. That is exactly what this text is about. Now, there should be, by the way, justice for crimes, right? I'm not saying that people, that murderers should go free. But there should be and is, by God's grace, forgiveness for even the worst of sinners. And there's, Jesus had an, his own personal pressure to hate people who threatened his ease of life. That's, that's the people we, we disagree with, right? People who are upsetting our schedules and our flow of life like a tax collector intentionally working with Romans, the Jewish enemy, while gouging Jesus' own people for profit. As a matter of fact, I won't ask uh, for a show of hands or for you to write the names down because they may be sitting next to you. But there are sinners, <laughs> lost people in your network of relationships, and they may be Christians that are not living for God, who you have a hard time loving. Right, much less sharing the gospel with them. And I just want to say to you, church, you cannot spiritually influence people or benefit people that you hate. Matter of fact, people were sending me all kinds of stuff when Shiloh, our, our daughter, was on the floor with gunfire outside her window, and they're telling me how bad it's gotten. 57 people have died, and da 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 Those things don't help my spirit. I can't do anything about it. And every moment you spend looking at bad news, you could have spent praying <laughs> for my daughter. You know, I, uh, that, that was just my mother. Anyway, uh, who was praying as well, not to throw her under the bus, but we can't influence people we hate. And God wants us to be a witness to them. And so, of course, the enemy wants you to hate them so you won't share with them. Well, you know, I, I was never an adversary of Jesus pastor. I'm not an adversary of Jesus. I've, I grew up knowing God. Well, the Bible says differently. Long before Romans 3.23 told us that all have sinned, Psalm 14 verse 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. I used to have a friend over in Virginia when I, we served there for 10 years. And uh, matter of fact, his birthday was yesterday, uh, James Meadows. And James would say, I'd, I'd t be talking about somebody in the church. I'd say, you know, so-and-so, he's a good guy. And he'd go, he'd always quote me that verse, there's none righteous, no, not one. And i say, well, okay, but you know, right? All have sinned. And the Bible says that. You may not think of yourself as an extreme sinner, Right? Because you have so many other worse sinners in our society today to compare yourself to. I mean, gosh, look around. All this virtue signaling on, on, on social media. Look how good I am and the calls I support. And, or at least I'm not like them. Right? It gets easy to compare yourself. But listen, government officials aren't your standard of righteousness. <laughs> Praise God. Right? Jesus and Jesus is the perfect standard. And when you compare your life, your thought processes, your greed, 
your envy, your jealousy, your hatred, your anger. When you compare that with the righteousness of Jesus and his holy word, you are extreme. You're an extremist against Christ. Not like the world would make us think that we're radicals for Jesus. No, we're radicals against Jesus. And he has chosen in his mercy to reveal to us his grace and our sinfulness. Now look, we should choose our friends wisely. But don't let that wisdom keep you from following Christ's example of seeking out extreme sinners. Being the kind of person that an extreme sinner would be welcome to walk up to. That's the kind of people we need to be. I believe our church is that way. I can't even quote it in his testimony this morning. If you're, if you're not broken and busted in here, you're at the wrong church, friend. We're all sinners, including your pastor. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if you're not, if you're not busted and broken, there's the door. Because you're too self-righteous to be here. Choose your friends, but by all means, be a person that people seek out. Secondly, it's natural for lost souls to be disappointed. Y'all, joy resides in intrinsic value. The, the worth of a life. What's a life worth? Right? We've been discussing this topic on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Y'all are welcome to come every Wednesday night. By the way, we have meals at 5.30, cheap meals, home-style home meals. And you can sign up for those on our website. But we, we serve here for about an hour, 6.30 to 7.30. And we've been going over this, uh, how God uh, created humanity for a purpose and gave it value. And man was created for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. And we're the only part of creation that is made in the image of God. No other part of creation does it say he is made. We are made in his image. Animals aren't made in the image of God. Trees aren't made in the image of God. People are made in the image of God. So we stand distinct in our moral aspects because we have conviction and accountability over our sin. In the spiritual aspects, did you know that you can sin against your neighbor without saying a word? You don't even have to show them your long finger, right? You can just think sin in your heart. And so is it. No other animal is like that. Mental aspects, our reasoning and our learning and our logical thinking make us superior to all creation. Relational aspects, humans are most complex. I mean, we have nicknames for each other and, and memories and we take vacations. So we stand distinct in the image of God, what's called the Imago Dei. So when we realize that our value exists in the eternal purposes of glorifying God, a value that doesn't end with our death, right? A value that isn't based on our worth, but is based on our creator's worth of us, right? They always say, what's, what's the market value for your home? Doesn't matter. It's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And your life cost Jesus his. He gave it for you. That's what you're worth. You're worth perfection. Because perfection laid down his life for you. But the, the lost soul doesn't know this. It doesn't know that it's loved. It doesn't know that man and that woman, they don't understand the love of Christ. They don't understand their value, that they have purpose. And it is our job as the church to explain that value to them. Now, a coin has value, but it's so unalive, it certainly can't do anything to help itself get found. 
And a sheep has value, but it's so unintelligent that any cries for help that it gives, it's only alerting the enemy to its location. There's a guy who wrote a book about this, and he said, Shepherds in Lebanon and in the Holy Land have told me that once a sheep knows that it's lost, it tries to hide under a bush or a rock and begins quivering and bleeding. You know, the shepherd must locate it quickly, lest it be heard and killed by a wild animal. On being found, it's usually too traumatized to walk and must be carried back to the flock or to the village, of course, on the back of the shepherd, just like the text says. The coin's unalive, the sheep's unintelligent, but what about those two sons? They're unhappy. So unhappy with life on the farm <laughs> that they want all their money now. So he has to divide his inheritance up early. And he knows his son's going to waste it, but he gives it to him anyway. And he's so unhappy in luxurious waste and pig waste that he returns home. That's son number one. Son number two is so unhappy in his father's forgiveness of his brother, so unhappy with the lavish celebration of the lost being found that he whines like a two-year-old brat. Unalive, unintelligent, unhappy. No offense if you're lost in here today, if you've not called on the name of Jesus. No offense. But that's your status. Your smiles do not fool me because I have read the script. And I know why the human race was created. And if you're not fulfilling that, you do not have the climax of joy that you have in Jesus Christ. You can't have it according to God's word. Add to this the unbelievable loneliness of lostness. I read an article this week about America's loneliness epidemic written by our Surgeon General. It said widespread loneliness in the U.S. poses health risks as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes daily, costing the health industry billions annually. About half of U.S. adults say they've experienced loneliness. Dr. Murthy said in an 81-page report, research shows that Americans who have become less engaged with worship houses, community organizations, and even their own family members in recent decades have steadily reported an increase in loneliness. The number of single households has also doubled over the last uh, 60 years. But the crisis deeply worsened with the pandemic. The article basically explained that in 2000, the average uh, American spent about an hour a day in person face-to-face -face with a friend. Now that's down to about 20 minutes, and I would say it's probably lower than that. Ages 15 to 24 reported a 70% drop in time spent with friends during the same period. Loneliness increases the risk of premature death by nearly 30% with the report revealing that those with poor social relationships also had a greater risk of stroke and heart disease. Isolation also elevates a person's likelihood for experiences of depression, anxiety, dementia, according to the research. The Surgeon General is calling on people to make changes that will boost the country's connectedness, he said. Technology has also rapidly exacerbated the loneliness problem, with one study finding that people with, uh, who use social media for two or more hours daily were more than twice as likely to report feeling socially isolated than those who spent such time uh, less than 30 minutes a day. He said, there's really no substitute for in-person interaction. Well, thank you, Surgeon General, for wasting millions of taxpayer dollars to tell us what we already knew. 
<laughs> because our commander in chief, Jesus Christ, has already given us, given us a warning and given us a great commission, by the way, that's found in all four gospels and the book of Acts. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The 12, to the 12 in Luke 9, verse 2, he's, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal to the 70 in Luke 10 verse 3, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as a lamb uh, in the midst of wolves. John 20, 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Acts 1, 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Great Commission is the cure for lostness and for loneliness and for the unalive and for the unintelligent and for the unhappy. Don't be fooled by the smiles of lost people. There's a disappointment in life that walks with every one of them. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, not just talking about heavenly rewards. If the righteous are repaid on earth, meaning they've got a fruitful crop, they've invested in sharing the gospel with their kids, and now their kids have trusted Christ. They've shared the gospel with a loved one, and now that loved one has trusted Christ. They have the fruit of righteousness repaid on earth. If the, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Before you ever get to hell, <laughs> what kind of apples, church, are falling from your trees? Right? The fruit of the righteous sees the worth of souls, the souls of mankind. And we seek to see that fruit multiplied. Every Sunday morning wake-up call that you get to drag your family out of bed into church, thank you. Every chord and drum and voice and every act of service and praise is cultivating. Every, every diaper changed in the nursery, cultivating the tree of life through the local church, the tree of faith and growth in Jesus Christ and the knowledge and obedience of his word. Praise God. I don't mean to embarrass Kevin, but Kevin drives in from a long, Kevin Kiros drives in from a long way every Wednesday night to teach our our young students or elementary kids and sometimes he's teaching just two kids maybe maybe one or two and maybe he may have more other nights but my wife was helping in this last Wednesday night he didn't know I was going to share this and she told me she said I accidentally walked in and uh, Kevin was praying over his lesson here's a guy driving I don't know 20-30 minutes to be at church on a Wednesday night when he's got kids at home right and he's praying over his lesson to teach one, two kids. That is because I believe Kevin understands the high value targets of a human soul. I promise you I'm thankful when crowds gather, but if there were two people, if there was one person sitting on that front pew, we would have church together. I know like on the 4th of July weekends and our different weekends when we have holidays, many of you will be on vacations. I don't care. I think sometimes I, pray, I prepare more for those. I want to give the few double portion, you know. And I don't doubt that there are some disappointed Christians in here because you have lost sight of high value targets. You're not making room for people on your calendar. You're isolating yourself from humanity and you do not get a free hall pass in the kingdom of God. You cannot say I'm an introvert. You cannot say, well, I don't like people. 
it, that is not in the commands of Scripture. You may be a recluse, but that doesn't free you from the commands of God. You weren't made to be disappointed. <laughs> so if, you're, if you are, it's not God's fault. It is natural for the lost to be disappointed. And that doesn't mean we should gloat over it. It just means our souls should agonize over the souls of people who desperately need Jesus to take their disappointments away. It's natural for extreme sinners to draw near to Jesus and for lost souls to be disappointed. But third, it is natural to burst with joy when the lost are found. Y'all know that I, I, I have glasses stashed everywhere. I even got an extra pair stashed up here because I forget my glasses so much, right? Most of my pair of glasses, I don't even know where they came from, all right? Most of them are like my wife's leopard, leopard print, you know, Dollar Tree versions, all right? But I have one good pair of glasses at home. I like that pair of glasses, black, a little blue streak on, like, which I couldn't even find them this morning. Where'd they go again? Lost again. All right, but so these glasses, I like these glasses and I lost them a couple weeks ago. But meantime, life took over and I couldn't, you know, couldn't spend my whole time looking for these glasses. So I, in the meantime, I went and I had to go do a, a, a wedding rehearsal down in a Hedge Farms down in Mississippi. And so I drove Vicky's car, better gas mileage, you know how it is. And so I, I drove her vehicle down Drove it back. Then my, Isaiah had two soccer games the next morning, so I drove to the first soccer game. We drove home, ate lunch, drove back to the afternoon game. And while I'm coming back to the car, I've got stuff in my hands and cups and stuff, and I set my stuff down on the hood of her car to get my keys out of my pocket. And that's when I found them, my glasses. But they weren't in my pocket. They were on the hood of her car. <laughs> wedged between that space right there and the windshield wiper where they had been dri driven all over the city bumps road bumps interstate everything right and i you know i'm not a gentle driver right and i have no idea but i you know what i did first i laughed then i rejoiced and then i started praising god over a seven dollar pair of glasses that's Jesus's point. When you find something, you're happy. You're joyful, even over a pair of glasses. How much more the souls of men, how much more the souls of our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors. Sheep and coins that are found are enough to cause rejoicing. But what about our sons? And the joy isn't just in the finding. It's, it's knowing that you've been searched for, right? One author describes how in his neighborhood, uh, you know, he sees signs up all over his, these telephone poles for like lost dogs, lost cats. And he said, I kind of feel sometimes like, what do they want me to do their job for them? It's not my cat, you know. I wonder if they're even searching for it. And then he says, this is not the way God seeks. The shepherd doesn't put up a sign that says, hey, I lost a sheep. He leaves the 99 behind and he goes after the one who's missing. Matthew 6, 26 says, you look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus even says in Matthew 12, 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? May we be a church that values 
lost souls. May we be a church that searches for them. We don't just wait for them to come here. We go out about once a month. We go out into neighborhoods and we uh, in a ministry called Care Through Prayer. And we just pray for people. We're not trying to pitch them our church like we, we, we think we're the baddest thing in town. We're not trying to hand them a handout. We don't want their money. I want their soul to know Jesus. And that's all we go out to do. May we be that kind of church by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Well, before the Lord's Supper today, I want to read Mark 14, 22. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Of course, you know, the body and the bread represents uh, Christ, his broken body. It's symbolic of his sacrifice that was poured out for us. And friend, when you turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, then you've entered into the new kingdom of heaven, right? And which allows you to participate in the Lord's Supper. So if you are a believer, by all means participate. And if you're not, I just, uh, just warn you to not to do that until you've called on the name of the Lord, which you can do today, right? Uh, so after I pray, there's several communion tables around here. Uh, you can get up with your family and go to one of those. If they run out at one, you can go to another. And then just take the two cups. There's two cups stacked on top of each other. Bottom cups, the bread, top cups, the wine. And you'll just take those two cups, go back to your seat, sit down. You may want to explain it to your kids or whatever. You may want to pray. And then you can take that Lord's Supper at your will. And then after we've taken the Lord's Supper, we'll stand and we'll have our, our time of response where people may want to publicly profess Christ or you may want to come forward and be baptized. Maybe you've known the Lord for years but just haven't gotten your baptism on the right side of your salvation. And, uh, or may you, you may want to join the church and, and become a member here and plug in to serve in some way. All right, let's stand. Father God, we ask you now that you would bless the elements, Lord, the, the, the bread that represents your body that was broken for us, that was beaten for us, the blood that was spilled out as the perfect sacrifice. Lord, you're the only man who walked this earth as God and never sinned. You were in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so you became the perfect sacrifice. And so, Father, we remember that sacrifice now. We rejoice that you came searching for us. We rejoice that you instigated this ordinance for us to remember you. Lord, I also pray for those now that after the Lord's Supper may want to join our church, may want to publicly profess Christ or come and be baptized. I pray that you would let us be obedient to you now. We pray for hearts that are burdened over the lost family members and lost neighbors. And we pray for the lost to know that God is searching for them. And that we love them, but we don't find ourselves any better than them. Believe it. We believe we're all sinners who need Jesus. And I pray that you would lead some to trust you today. Bless our time of the Lord's Supper. May it be honoring and a worshipful remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.